0: You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras, Royals edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinsand sat down with Royals Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Dayton Moore to discuss what he learned from John Sherholtz coping with the loss of Giordano Ventura and how important it was for him to build a winning culture in Kansas City.
1: Dayton, you were born in Wichita, Kansas, grew up as a Royals fan. Was working for the Royals always a dream for you?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, of course, you know, the, the, Royals, the Royals were my boyhood team. Of course, the, the Royals were a very easy team to, to root for. Uh, back in the late 70s and the 80s, they were a model organization and uh, winning on a consistent basis. Um, so, uh, you know, I naturally followed the Kansas City Royals, and, and uh, I, I will say when... Uh, when they had called and, and requested permission uh, to uh, um, interview me, uh, at first I, I never thought I would um, leave Atlanta, but I, I wanted to meet with them because I was curious. They were my boyhood team, and uh, I connected uh, with with Dave and Dan Glass and. And um, I, I realized very quickly that Mr. Glass was very frustrated. Uh, he was obviously one of the most successful businessmen in the history of our country, running Walmart for every years and for many years. And he was, he was frustrated. He was embarrassed. Um, he was very open um, to uh, doing what we felt we would need to do to build this organization from the ground up. And uh, so that was intriguing to me. So I began to think about uh, this opportunity. And um, uh, about 10 days later, um, after the job was uh, offered, we decided to come to Kansas City.
1: You graduated from George Mason University, mm-hmm. spent four years there an assistant baseball coach. Yep. Did you think at the time that coaching could be your future? Yeah,
0: you know what, um, I-, I wanted to coach. Um, I wanted to be a, a college coach. Uh, once my college baseball career was over, I signed with an independent team and was released out of there. And uh, Billy Brown, the head coach at George Mason, um, asked me to come back and coach, um, and, uh, which, which he knew that that was part of my plans. When he recruited me, I, I told him that, you know, when I'm done playing, I, I want to coach someday and I would like for you to consider me. Um, and he said he would, and he was true to his word. And um, But the Braves called. They asked me if I was interested in being an area scout, and I said no. Um, they called me back 48 hours later, convinced me to go down and meet with, uh, w- meet with them in Atlanta. And uh, they offered me the position, and then I decided I was going I to do it, and I was going to do it just for four years and get back into college coaching. And then one thing led to another, and um, uh, I enjoyed so much who I was working with. I was learning a great deal. I had great mentors in my life uh, like Paul Snyder and Roy Clark and Bill LaJoy and Jose Martinez and Jim Beecham and John Sherholtz and Bobby Cox. And, and uh, so naturally, um, you know, I, I was learning a lot and I was growing a lot. And I was thinking about the game in ways that I'd never thought before. And uh, so it just uh, motivated me and, 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 and stimulated me to, to want to do more in the game.
1: As one thing led to another, as you say, uh, you go from scout to assistant director mm-hmm. of scouting, assistant director of player development, director of international scouting, uh, and eventually director of player personnel development. As you're moving through the ranks here, yeah, was there an eye on I want to be a GM someday?
0: No, there really wasn't. Um, you know, I've, I've, always, um, I've always tried to have a laser-type focus on the, the moment and what you're trying to accomplish uh, each day. Uh, I've never really thought too much about the future and um, uh, I, I think it's important to be have a relentless focus on the fundamentals of the game uh, on the field and off the field and to do that it requires a laser type focus each day. Uh, you know the, the first two opportunities I had to interview uh, as, to, as a GM I, I decided to, not to do it because I was just so focused on, on what I was doing in scouting and player development. I, I loved the people I worked with. I I never envisioned myself ever leaving the Atlanta Braves, and um, so I, um, you know, I just I, I never really thought about being a GM.
1: You ul- you ultimately get promoted to assistant GM mm-hmm. uh, under John Sherholtz Yeah. What have you learned most from him?
0: Well, John is a first of all, John's a John's an unbelievable competitor. Uh, he relies deeply on his people. He's a great listener. Uh, he has a way of, um, of filtering all the information and the opinions of people, and uh, putting a plan together based on that information. Uh, but in, in John, John was always very inclusive towards me. He he uh, he welcomed me in his um, his inner circle and for that I'm ever you know forever grateful because all, all I've ever wanted to do is, is 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 learn this game learn this game and grow in this game and uh, I've never concerned myself with being exposed with what I don't know because I just want to get better so I, I, I I'm hopeful that somebody exposes me every single day of what I don't know because that puts me in a position to grow and to learn You
1: started interviewing with the Red Sox for their GM job in November 2005 before withdrawing your name for consideration. What did you take from that process?
0: Well, to me, it was the first time I ever really thought about becoming a GM because I I really enjoyed the interview process. And um, um, so it was just really the first time I I thought about becoming a GM, truthfully. And, um, um, you know, I just I enjoyed the baseball people and um you know obviously, the market you know Boston is one of the greatest baseball towns in, in the history of our game um, so that was obviously intriguing and um, but that that's primarily it I mean it's really the first time I began to think about you know what it, it might be fun uh, to uh, be a part of a you know a culture in a uh, as the GM
1: less than a year later you become the GM for the Royals uh, a lot of people that you sought counsel from mm-hmm. advised you not to take the job Yeah, what appealed to you most about taking over a team that hadn't experienced success for about 20 years?
0: well we knew it was going to be an unbelievable challenge Mark and um, you know I, I, kept, I kept thinking that um, um, I kept going back to Mr. Glass's openness and um, I, I would say, not his openness necessarily, his openness, yes, but his brokenness of, you know, we, we want to build a model organization, and that was intriguing to me, to be able to maybe come here and um, um, and, and, and have, you know, uh, a hand in, in creating a culture and an environment and to breathe life back into uh, a franchise that, as we all know, once was a model franchise. So to, to have that opportunity to, uh, to breathe life back into a fan base. And, you know, when we came here, uh, I didn't realize it until we got here, but, you know, we'd lost a generation of Royals fans. And how did I know that? Well, when I would watch the, our fans enter the ballpark from my office, the only time the young kids would come is we were playing the Yankees or the Red Sox. And their parents, their parents or grandparents would have on Royals hats or George Brett or Willie Wilson or Frank White jerseys. And their kids would have like Dustin Pedroia and Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz and... Um, I knew they weren't coming from Boston or New York. I mean, they were Kansas City kids, and uh, so that was hurtful to me. Uh, that, was, that was extremely bothersome and uh, became a, a, a great source of motivation uh, to put players on this field that and in our community that would connect with our fans and ultimately guide our success and grow the game in Kansas City.
1: Steve Dombrowski, who Uh turned around 119-loss team in Detroit, Uh, I read he offered you the following advice when you became the GM. Do things the right way. If you run out of time, you run out of time. How much did that stick with you during the early
0: years? A lot. It it, it motivated me to always do the right thing um, for for what's best for the franchise, what's best for the Kansas City rules. Of course, John John implemented that, that in us in Atlanta. Every decision you make, what's best for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, But when, when you're struggling and you're losing, we all know that it's human nature to begin to protect self uh, more than the good of the team. And so that was a reminder that everything that we do each and every day is we got to do what's best for the Kansas City Royals and, and lay the foundation for success and um, continue to grow it through scouting and player development. And, uh, and, and remember to engage our fans, be transparent with our fans, and, uh, and, and uh, in in a way that's going to draw them uh, to the Kansas City Royals. You know, we, we, we would speak all over the community uh, three, four times a week, whether it be morning breakfast, lunch meetings, coffees, churches, everywhere. And... Uh, we wanted to really uh, be out in the community we knew it was going to be important especially for the midwest Um, but in the the fact that we would engage and have those discussions it created a lot of uh, conversation and people may not agree with what we were doing as an organization or wanted to move much quicker or didn't like the signings or the moves of the general manager but they were they were following us, and they were debating us, and they were, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, you, we wanted them engaged in Kansas City Royals baseball.
1: Trust the process has become mm-hmm. a very big cliche in sports in the recent years. Yeah. But in your position, is it important to do just that?
0: It is. We, we again, we, we, we tried to just have a laser-type focus on each day, just trying to get better each day. And I would say, kind of, guys, let's just try to get better each and every day. And then if we if we maintain that pro- approach and trust that process, someday we might wake up and be good.
1: You traded Zach Granke to Milwaukee, part of a six-player deal, brought back Lorenzo Cain, and Alcides Escobar in that trade. Yeah. Was it tough dealing a young, homegrown ace, or did you see that as a good opportunity to acquire multiple players that you could use as a part of your future?
0: We did. You, you, battle, you battle on two fronts. You, you realize how important Zach is to our fans, our community, uh, our fan base, and the fact that people loved watching him compete every fifth day. But we also knew that the best thing for the Kansas City Royals was perhaps to multiply. You, trade Zach Greinke, and perhaps multiply uh, with what we would get in return. We knew that we had uh, uh, an outstanding young catcher emerging. We knew we had a third baseman and a first baseman, Mike Moustakis and, and Eric Hosmer. Uh, on the wing or on the interior part of the diamond, uh, at first and at third, and we had uh, Alex Gordon and Billy Butler, two young hitters that were now experiencing a point in time in their lives where, in their careers, where we felt they would start being consistent, producing players, uh, but we didn't have a shortstop, and we really didn't have a center field prospect. So. When, um, so we, we tried to execute deals that would get us back maybe a center fielder, maybe a shortstop. And uh, we were fortunate to, to execute that, to, to get both. And you know, the interesting thing about that is when we had acquired Yuneski Betancourt a few years ago uh, at the trade deadline, um, which we felt at the time was an upgrade over Tony Pena Jr., who had done a really good job for us in 2007, but was, was struggling in 2008 without the execution of that deal and getting UNESCO Court here in Kansas City, we can't execute the deal to get um, uh, Alcides Escobar. So it was Zach Grinky and Alcides Escobar together that brought us uh, Lorenzo and Alcides, of course, of course Jake Odorizzi was part of that deal, which we later were able to um, uh, move in a deal to get uh, Wade Davis and James Shields along with Roy right. Myers. Or Trade Myers, right? If you're enjoying this Mark Feinstein interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinsand.
1: Off the beaten path for one second, Kansas City is probably best known for its barbecue, so I have to ask you, what's your what's your barbecue joint of <laughs> choice out there?
0: You know, I like them all. I know that's probably what you're supposed to say. <laughs> I'm not a picky eater. I never <laughs> have been. Um, I've always... I, I never really spent much time, you know. Uh, but I like them all. I really do. I, I think you can't go wrong. They're all pretty good, right? They're all good. You can't go wrong. I mean, uh, Joe's is right near our house. Um Gates is right near <clears throat> our house. So I. Uh, Jack Stacks is near our house. So we just kind of go with what's convenient. But we Someone second, has the
1: shortest line. Yeah,
0: it, exactly. That's a good way to put it. We always got the shortest line.
1: Uh, every team at this point in the majors has an analytics department.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think
1: teams are out there now looking for the next big thing?
0: I'm sure there are. Um, you know, we, Again, I'm very proud of the work that we've done. With our analytical department, I grew up in baseball in a very traditional way. I was a college coach and an area scouting supervisor, and uh, but I, I find the advanced uh, metrics, the analytics, fascinating. Um, it's 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 very important uh, to our decision-making process. Um, we use it uh, in all aspects of our organization, and uh, I, I believe in. Uh, certainly, traditional views, and also um, you know new ideas, and you know I feel like we've been able to combine that in a way that uh, has made us stronger. Our departments respect each other's um, um, backgrounds in the game and their viewpoint, and so to me, that's the most important part of uh, our departments is that they really respect and embrace each other's viewpoints, and because of that I, I think we have a, a great mix of traditional views, uh, traditional baseball views and, uh, and analytics. We use it uh, with our medical decisions, we use it with our sports science, we use it with, um, our, our, in the draft, we use it uh, in uh, acquiring players in the minor leagues, uh, we use it uh, in advancing players uh, in levels of the minor leagues, we, we use it for our lineups. We, I mean we use it for all aspects of our organization, but we also, we blend the two. And what we simply do is when we have to make an important decision, we get all the groups, to all the people together that represent the different, the leaders of the departments and we sit down and we listen, we ask questions of each other, we listen and then ultimately either myself or JJ Piccolo or Ned Yost makes a decision. What do you think
1: now that now that analytics have caught up league wide? What do you think could be the next big competitive advantage area
0: that uh, teams you, look at? You know, I mean, obviously, sports science is becoming a huge part of what teams are doing, and I mean, it, I mean, we, we all understand uh, uh, we're, we're we're trying to do a better job of understanding human behavior, uh, try to predict human behavior. It's 162 games. Um, There's a lot that goes into the evaluation of your players, but um, you know we we have um, a group of people within our front office every single day are researching and analyzing things for the future, and when they when they uh, and we you know we meet on a regular basis, and um, so those are some of the things that we're you know. do you think statcast is changing the way fans look at the game? Yeah, I do. I think it's, I think it's intriguing. Uh, I, I like, well, I like paying attention to it. It's interesting information to me. Um, I was taught, you know, I was taught as an area scout, for example. Okay. Um, this isn't about me, but just to give you some background. Sure. I mean, it's. I was taught as an area scout. When I'm sitting back here with a radar gun, um, and Joe Branzell is the one that told me this. Who's in the Hall of Fame? The scout. He's Scouts Hall of Fame. Um, He said, when you sit back there with your radar gun, analyze the pitch, and before you look at your gun, predict the speed. So you learn, you train your eyes, what a 90-mile-an-hour fastball looks like. You use your stopwatch, home to first, use your eyes, train yourself to predict the time and then look at your watch. So that's how I grew up in the game. What I'm getting at is with StatCast, and I mean, I can sit up there and I can look at the route of the player, especially from our viewpoint. And uh, now we have an idea of what pitch is coming because we we can look at it through the television monitor. We know what pitch is going to come. We have all of the um, uh, uh, spray charts, where guys hit the ball. We know what the pitch is coming. And so we know where we should be positioned, but we can also um, uh, see the first step quickness or the anticipation of the fielder we have an idea of where guys are going to hit the ball so we can lock in in areas okay so that helps you even more uh as an evaluator but i think Statcast and some of the advanced uh uh, uh technologies that we have out there uh, make it so that the fan that didn't grow up in the game or the pe- person that didn't grow up in the game I mean, it helps of course it does what do you think
1: yeah, I mean certainly you never heard fans talking about exit velocity before the last you couple I like? of years. I,
0: you know, I, I like uh, I like I like when they get out there and like the 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 lead where the 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 how far the lead is. Right. Um, that helps because you know that you know a lot of this you predict a twelve foot lead and delivery times and pop times from the catcher and you know all, all that good stuff. You know and I mean, there's a, there's a lot of it. It's, it's all interesting. I mean, exit velocity, okay, yeah, hard hit balls. I mean, I, as an area scout, I'd keep track of where guys centered the bat on the ball in different areas of the strike zone. I'd work hitters out and throw batting practice to them and, and measure didn't call it exit velocity, but how he centers the ball on the bat. Right. Does he drive the ball to the off-gap? And who handles the ball away naturally? And, and uh, who has recognition? And, and, again, who can take their hands at different areas of the strike zone? And, and do, do guys get themselves out? Are they over-aggressive? You know, it's just like with, with uh, you know, uh, uh, patience in the batter's box, where guys are afraid to hit are fearful with hitting with two strikes and uh are fearful of going deep in count and, and, and recognition and and plate discipline well and i you've known this from the very beginning it's it's more um nature versus nurture it's hard to teach patients and players you, you have to draft them and sign them with that quality and um so we can say well you gotta teach yeah we understand that you gotta do it but but you're not going to reconceive players You can't go back into the, you know, they are who they are, and you've got to work within their naturalness um, as an athlete, as a baseball player, and then blend their naturalness together with, you know, the other group of players, and that's what ultimately puts your your team together. And... uh, you know, that, that's why in player development, one of the things we're all, I'm always very conscious and leery of, don't work so much on the player's weaknesses that they lose their strengths. They were drafted and signed for a reason. And let's make sure they maintain their strengths. Yeah, let's work on their weaknesses. That's not what I'm saying. And don't, But don't spend so much time trying to develop a curveball when it's just not in there because it's, it's truly a gift. To be able to spin the ball is more of a gift than it is a taught skill. Being able to have patience at the plate is more as a gift than a learned behavior. Can you get better? Of course you can. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So from 1994 to 2012, the Royals had one season with more than 80 wins. Okay. You guys went 81 and 81 last year and it was uh-huh. considered a huge disappointment. Yeah. How encouraging is it that winning is now expected from this organization and its well, fan base?
0: Well, that's where we wanted to ultimately be, and, and, and we knew that we had to— change the environment Um, again re-engage our fans and uh, make it a a place where players hopefully wanted to play and stay Um, and uh, you know people talk about um, you know prospects a lot the most important thing to me with uh, your prospects uh, in the minor leagues is the developing uh, or, or emphasizing the importance of winning and uh, and playing together as a team, and to cast aside self for the good of the group, and that's a challenge because ultimately we're rewarding players in the minor leagues based on individual performance. But so there's a there's somewhat of a conflict there. But to me, it's you, you, you you've got to continue to train your players to cast aside self and do everything for the good of the team and the organization. Uh, And that's why it's so important that the leaders you have in place, your coaches, your managers, your front office, your instructors are able to do that themselves. Uh, So it's displayed uh, in the right manner to the players where hopefully they will follow. Um, But it's culture to me, culture and environment is everything to me.
1: When the Royals lost game seven to the Giants in 2014, did you feel confident that you guys would get another chance?
0: No, you never. It, it, you know how hard it is to get back to that moment. Um, that's why it's so disappointing. Do I? Did I know that we would play winning baseball? Absolutely, because I trust in Ned, the coaching staff, and our players and our fans to support. Uh, our product on the field Uh, but you never know if you're going to get back there it's just it's just too challenging i mean all those years in atlanta we won one world series Uh, we knew it was going to be it's it's very hard a lot has to go your way once the playoffs begin you need a break or two and so you don't know and you know that's that's how i grew up in the game so i didn't know we we'd get back there i knew we would play winning baseball Got to stay healthy, which we did. You know, and, and why? And, and, and people ask me, w- w- would ask me uh, about why we would trade Finnegan and Mania and Reed for Zobrist and Cueto um, when we simply. Knew that we would never sign. First of all, we knew we wouldn't get any draft picks for him because the rules had changed, and we all people also knew that we weren't going to sign those guys long term. Eh, maybe got a shot at Zobras, but Gordon's right. a free agent too, or whatever. And people said, "Well, why would you do that?" Plus, we know the history of those deals. Often, it doesn't mean you're going to the World right. Series. I mean, if the ball doesn't bounce a certain way in in Houston, maybe we're our fate is sealed right. at that moment. Um, but there was there was a few factors in place there one our team was extremely hungry two they were producing uh at a high level they were playing as a team and producing at a high level and three our projected health was was very good um, unless something unforeseen happened but guys were you know that uh, there wasn't a lot of guys on the trainer's report and everybody was healthy and and what have you, and, and then the other part of that is we've always, from day one, why we traded Will Myers, um, why we did what we did, is we, we, we our, our plan from day one was to get a group of homegrown players up here and then do everything that we can to support their efforts to win a World Series, and uh, we stayed true to that plan, and um, so...
1: Royals payroll last year 135 million was the highest in franchise history. Yeah. After the season, you suggested it might be scaled back a little bit. Mm-hmm. As you've developed some of these really good players through the years, and now they're in arbitration years and they're approaching free agency, yeah. do the realities of a small being a small market team start to really set in?
0: You know, we've never we've never made an excuse for our market. It's more about who the it's more about the player than the money and we feel strongly about the, the, the type of players that we have here, they're winners, they care about being a great teammate and they connect with the fans, but we also know that um, we won't be able to keep them all, but we've had success with signing a lot of our young homegrown players to long-term contracts. Look, we. We signed Joaquim Sorry to a long-term contract before he made All-Star teams. We signed Zach Grinke to a long-term contract before he was a Cy Young award winner. We signed Gordo before he was an All-Star. We signed Billy Butler to a long-term contract before he was an All-Star. Alcides Escobar, Salvador Perez were all given long-term contracts before they made All-Star games and won gold gloves. Um, now, the natural question on you, for you is, well, Osmer's won gold gloves and championships and MVPs, and Moose has been to all-star games and Kane's been to all-star games, and they're not signed long-term. Well, it's it's going to be a challenge for us, but we'll we'll do the best we can um, to continue to do what we've always done, and that is simply um, draft to the best of our ability, develop to the best of our ability, continue to be aggressive internationally, and uh, put players. Uh, on this field each and every night that want to win for each other and our fans.
1: Given that those guys are all a year away from free agency, does it put more pressure on the team to perform earlier in the season and not let it get to the point where the trade deadline's approaching and it's are you buyers or sellers?
0: Mark, I don't think so. I mean, you'd have to ask him. I don't look at it like that because Ned and I have always operated in the same philosophy. Let's just put the best team we can on the field each and every single day. We want to, again, just a, a complete focus on the day and what we've got to do to win this game. And uh, that, that's how we've approached it. There's certainly different uh, phases within a major league season where you have to um, um, uh, maybe reevaluate some things, adjust your line of thinking as it reflects to a long-term approach. and But we're not there yet, so we're, we're not going to allow our minds to, to enter into that realm.
1: Kane missed 59 games last year. has played only 27. Mm-hmm. How important is it to get them back in your lineup this year at full strength? Big
0: time. I, I, you'd have to look this up, Mark, but I think we had a 3, excuse me, a, a five. 546 or some winning percentage, maybe 570, something in there when Kane was in the lineup. You know, in the psychology of our team last year, yes, we were coming off a World Series championship, um, and we got out of the gate okay, and we started having some injuries. When when Gordo and Moose collided, the psychology of the team um, you know, was, was a little down. Then we got through that. We didn't play good in July. I think we won five or six baseball games. Everybody expected us to, to just sell out, trade, and there was a lot of people naturally Wondering what we were going to do, we elected to to stay with this group of players, continue to believe in them as we always have. We won 21 games in August. We didn't trade anybody. We won 21 games in August, and uh, then Kane went down again. And in I think September, we won might have won nine or ten games. But when, when Kane went down that last time, it really deflated us. Couldn't we just couldn't overcome it?
1: What does Alex Gordon mean to this franchise, both on and off the field?
0: Alex Gordon is—he's a, a winner in every sense of the word. Uh, he's an unbelievable father, uh, great husband, great teammate, um, great son, and uh, extremely prepared. Emotionally, very in, uh, very under control, you know, in, in control. And um, you know, he just—he's always just played to win. He's never complained, and he's—he's uh, he's stuck with us. Uh, you know from the very beginning and really represents uh you know what uh, you know a kansas city royal or what a baseball player should be how difficult was it to
1: trade Wade davis this winter given how good he'd been for you during this run
0: very challenging you know waiter we, we could not have um, uh, won without his presence and his dominance in the back end of our bullpen it was it was very challenging uh, to make that deal, as it was with Gerard Dyson. You know, Dyson had been here from the very beginning. Uh, him and I had been here uh, together. We both came around the same time, and to watch him grow and mature on the field and off the field was extremely rewarding and um, a great example of perseverance. And um, you know, we couldn't have won without him either. So it was challenging to trade both of those guys, and you know. Historically, Mark. I mean, especially since we began this run, and, and again, you know, get a group of players together, homegrown players, do everything we can to help win. We've traded very few major league players. We, we've traded, you know, players in our minor league system, but we've traded very few major league players. This past winter, we we traded some. It was it was a little. It was challenging emotionally.
1: What kind of player do you think Jorge Soler can be?
0: Jorge um, has a chance to to be a. You know, a Obviously, a, a power-producing bat in right field. We all think he's just scratching the surface. He had a lot of success early on in his career. He he grew up in a, uh, with a great organization, uh, with the Cubs. So he knows how to win and the importance of of winning. And uh, but we also know there'll there'll probably be an adjustment period. He's going to change leagues. He's going to try to do too much. He wants to impress. And uh, so, but we believe that uh, he will be, uh, we will be very happy with his production uh, over the four-year period that we have him under contract.
1: You guys experienced a devastating loss with the death of Giordano Ventura. What will you remember most about him?
0: You know, my, there's a lot of things that we'll remember about Giordano. Um, obviously, he's a, he had an infectious smile. He cared deeply about his teammates. He loved to compete. Uh, he, had, he, had, he overcame a lot, um, uh, not only from uh, an, econ- an economic standpoint. I mean, he overcame extreme poverty and neglect uh, at times and uh, to reach the highest level. And uh, obviously you have to have the ability to do that, but you have to have a, uh, an unbelievable desire uh, to compete. And um, he had all of that. But we'll miss him. We spent a lot of time with Jordano. We got to know him very well, because truthfully, because of some of the um, um, maintenance that was required to help him develop uh, as a player and as a man. So we all took our turns at pouring into, hey at, at, at pouring into his life, and um, and, and trying to help raise him we embraced that we enjoyed that you know personally i, I would spend time with him every winter in the dominican republic renee francisco and i would of course renee was there constantly but i'd make it i would make um an advanced decision every single year to go spend time with him for for a couple days in the dr because we knew you he, he grew up without a father and uh you know so we all felt it was important to to be strong um uh, influences in his life. On a personal
1: level, I'm sure it's going to take quite some time for you and everybody in the organization to cope with it and deal with it yeah. and, and get past it if you ever do. Purely from a baseball standpoint, how difficult is it to deal with that type of sudden loss?
0: Well, there's very, I mean, you just, you can't replace that. Uh, you certainly can't. I mean, for, uh, you know, we had him under a long term contract, um, we had those costs fixed in our. Uh, with our financial projections for the future. Obviously the talent uh, is exceptional, and we felt, Mark, that he was just scratching the surface, continuing to get better. In this, off, this past off-season, he, um, he was extremely dedicated. Uh, he was at our academy on a consistent basis, working with Victor Baez. He was in great shape, and um, his commitment level was the best it had been in several years. Uh, he was uh, a week away from coming to Arizona early to begin training, which he always did. Uh, but we were really excited about his future and um, felt like that he had a chance to, to be a Cy Young Award winner someday.
1: You weren't the first team ever to have a big three in the back of the bullpen. Obviously, the Nasty Boys did it in Cincinnati right. in 1990. Yeah. Uh, but you've been credited with reigniting that trend. Is imitation the sincerest form of flattery? No
0: doubt. I mean, really, I mean, to me, you know, when we first came over here, we looked at. We, we were. Uh, I was a big admirer of Terry Ryan and uh, Terry's ability to lead, remain consistent, build continuity within his staff. Um, I respected that and wanted to model that. But I also looked at the Anaheim whether the LA Angels when they won or the Anaheim Angels they were the Anaheim Angels, Angels I believe Two thousand two. Yep. so I looked at them and I, I love that style of baseball we, we wanted to go we wanted to steal bases we wanted to go first to third we wanted to score from second we wanted speed non-base up the middle power on the wings we wanted a bullpen that could match up really well the last third of the game the Angels had all of that in my mind during that period of time and so you know that, that's that's really kind of how we wanted to, to build our team. Of course, Coffin Stadium demands that you have athletes in the outfield. You've got to be able to, to to run down a baseball at Coffin Stadium. And uh, so, it, you know, in our first deal, was trying to acqu- you know we tried we acquired, we acquired Joey Gathright because we knew that we needed those types of uh, athletes. Uh, in our ballpark.
1: How do you feel about the overall state of your farm system right now?
0: I feel good about our farm system. I know there's, there's a lot of publications and that would um, rank our system um, uh, at uh, a lower level. Um, but I believe in our players. I believe in our development uh, people. Uh, um, I trust that we have uh, young players that uh, know how to play this game. They may not stand out uh, uh, they may not grade out well um, with tools, although we have some players with some exceptional tools, but we have players that I think are, that I believe are committed to winning and uh, and will learn what it takes to win and ultimately that's, that's what matters the most, to be able to put a group of players on the field that uh, want to win for each other and uh, you know, connect with your community and the fans. And that's what we're going to continue to work hard to do.
1: Last question for you. Mm-hmm. The American League has been represented by teams in your division in the, each of the past three World Series. Your team obviously counting for two of those. How do you assess the, the, the American League Central this year and in the immediate future?
0: Well, I think the, I believe the American League Central is, is a tremendous division. Uh, I really like what um, the White Sox did this offseason. Um, Minnesota is um, uh, reinvigorated I mean, they have a new direction and um, um, I don't know Derek well but I've been impressed with him and of course I've always liked Thad Levine and they have ownership that's committed to winning uh, of course Detroit is has always been very good I mean they've they've got uh, they're proven winners they dominated our division for years and uh, I've always respected Al And his ability to evaluate, and um, of course, you know, uh, Cleveland, uh, what Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro before him—they—they've always been able to create such a a great culture. And so it—and I I like the fact that all of those organizations are very healthy and have a great vision uh, for the future of their franchise, because that's going to make us better here in Kansas City as we. Um, continue to, to, to work hard to compete with them. Thanks very much for your time. Okay. Good luck to Appreciate it. Thank you.